And Ian, kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. So make your way to the doors. The pastor's about to preach. <laughs> for the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to the book of Hebrews. We will be looking in chapter 11, the text that was read during the scripture reading. Now, some of you may be concerned. I know last week I spent uh, about 35 minutes on just four or five verses. Uh oh. 17 through 31, what's going to happen this morning? <laughs> but that's okay. We're going to move along a little faster than we moved last week. The big idea for this morning that we find in this text is this faith causes us to respond with obedience. When you really believe something, it's going to change your behavior. And you're willing to make sacrifices, you're willing to do things that are inconvenient. All of those things are motivated by faith. Let me give you an example. You go into the doctor's office. The doctor says, you have a physical problem that requires surgery. Unless you have this surgery, you'll die in a week. Now, if you really believe that, what are you going to do? You're going to go have the surgery. It's going to mean pain. It's going to mean cost. It's going to mean a real change in the way that you live for the next few months, but you're going to make that change. Why? Because you believe the doctor. You trust what he's told you. You look at the results. He shows you the charts. He tells you all of this is coming, so you change your behavior because of what you believe. And you know that same truth should apply to spiritual things. If we really believe God, if we really understand who he is and what he asks of us, it should change the way we live. It should change our outlook. It should change our behavior. Every single thing about us should be changed by our faith in God. And that's what we find here in this text. We find some case studies in those who really changed their lives because of what they believed about God. They were willing to make many sacrifices. They were willing to do things beyond what they had anticipated. Why? Because of their faith in God. So let's look at this text. First, we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. And we're going to see the example of Abraham. As we come to this text, notice what the 17th verse says. By faith, God or Abraham, excuse me, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now what's the point of this text? Faith takes God at his word no matter what. That's what we're going to see in these first few examples. When we look at the example of Abraham and Isaac, what do we see? We see a person, Abraham, who had been called from his land to follow God and go to another land. And God had made him many promises, and one of the most significant promises was an heir, one who God would bless the nation that would eventually come through Abraham, 
one through whom he would do that, and it was Isaac. Now, Abraham didn't know this, and he and Sarah waited many years, and finally, when they were well past childbearing years, God blessed them with Isaac. It took faith. It took trust for Abraham to see God work in this way. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to wait. Now, they made a little mistake with a person named Ishmael that didn't exactly pan out. But by and large, Abraham and Sarah trusted God. And then this son that they had waited for, this person that they had longed for, Isaac, what did God ask? God asked him to sacrifice him. Now, this brings us to an important point. When we have faith, testing won't break our faith, and it's certainly demonstrated by Abraham. I want you to think about what that would have meant to Abraham to sacrifice his son. Imagine how he wrestled with that. First of all, from a theological standpoint, God detested human sacrifice. When we look in the Scripture, the very reason that God was driving the Canaanites out of the promised land and promising to Abraham and his descendants was because of the despicable worship that took place there. They worshiped gods like Moloch who required them to make their children walk through fire and sacrifice them to the god Moloch. Abraham knew that God detested that kind of worship. So theologically, no doubt, when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, theologically, don't you think that brought questions to Abraham? He must have wondered, why? What's God asking me to do here? Why would God ask me to do this when he promised me Isaac and I've waited so long for him? Imagine what it did to him emotionally as a father. Right here in this text, it says that Isaac was his one and only son. Now, we know from the historical record in Genesis that Isaac wasn't his one and only son. He also had Isaac. But we have to understand the word that's translated one and only in our English Bibles. It's an interesting word. It's a Greek word, monogenes, and what it means is unique or one of a kind. That same word is used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son or only begotten son. That's the idea. It means uniqueness, one of a kind. And so what God was asking of Abraham was to take this one son, born after his wife had been throughout her life barren, born to be the fulfillment of God's promise, and to trust God. You see, faith trusts God even when it doesn't make sense. Even when those around us say, you shouldn't believe that. You shouldn't act on that. You shouldn't live that way. Faith hangs on and trusts God. And that's exactly what Abraham did. But then we also have to look at the faith of Abraham in another way. And there's an insight that's given into the faith of Abraham in this text that we find nowhere else. Abraham knew that he would have to sacrifice Isaac. He knew that this would mean taking his son's life. But look carefully with me at this text. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice 
He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his unique son, his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through your offspring that it is through him that your offspring will be reckoned. Then look at verse 19. This is the insight. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Did you catch what the writer of Hebrews is bringing to us? God was believed in so much by Abraham that he trusted him to raise Isaac from the dead. And we get this insight further brought home to us in Genesis. If you don't know this Hebrews passage, it's really easy to just skip right by this text in the book of Genesis. As Abraham and Isaac were making their way to the place of sacrifice, they brought a couple of servants along with them. And if you remember the story, the servants had said that they would help Abraham, and Abraham told them to stay back. And notice what he says. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we'll come back to you. Now, he doesn't say will. He says we will come back to you, right? What is he saying? Abraham had every confidence that even though God had called him to sacrifice Isaac, he had every confidence that God would raise him from the dead to honor his promise. Now, to that point, no one had ever seen a resurrection. We don't find anywhere in Scripture that talks about a resurrection, and yet, here's Abraham believing God, trusting him, willing to make any sacrifice to fulfill his faith. And you know, that's what God is pointing out to us. We need to trust Him. We need to count on Him. We need to listen to God when He tells us to do things. Now, let me make this clear. When I say God tells us to do something, what I'm talking about is clear revelation from God. I've heard some people say, God told me to do something, and really what they claim that they've been told to do really, really can't be verified in Scripture As a matter of fact, sometimes it even goes against Scripture. And so you look at that and you say, well, how could God have told you to do that? And very often it doesn't pan out once they do it. You can't see where God was in what they claim that God told them to do. Understand this. When Abraham sacrificed Isaac or went to sacrifice him, You know what happened? God spoke to him directly. There was a clear revelation from God. Today, our revelation from God comes through His Word. God has given us the Scripture to guide us. So we need to be careful what we claim God tells us to do. We don't want to go out on that branch and then saw it off. That's not where we want to be. God wants us to follow what His Word has clearly revealed to us and do what God calls us to do in His Word. Now, with Abraham, we all know that there was a good ending. Look at the last part of that 19th verse. Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead, 
And then the last part says, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Remember the story, what happened? Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son. He had his arm back, ready to bring the knife down, and what happened? The angel of the Lord stopped him from sacrificing his own son, right in mid-stroke. And God provided a ram in place of Isaac. What a beautiful picture that is of what God would eventually do through the seed of Abraham, the Messiah. You see, all of us deserve death, spiritual death, because of our sin. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, takes our place. He received death when He died on the cross for you and for me. He took upon Himself the penalty that we deserve because of our sin, and He became our substitute, just as that ram was the substitute for Isaac. And so the faith of Abraham gives us a beautiful picture of one who is obedient to God, but also a beautiful picture of what God has provided for all of us. And how do we come into that relationship with Him? By trusting the sacrifice that Christ gave? By faith. Trusting God, taking Him at His word, understanding that God provides a provision for our sin and that He makes a way for us to know Him through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now the text continues. As we look on in the text, we find that faith does something else. It takes God at His word. Testing won't break it. But also faith transfers generationally. When we truly have faith and it becomes a part of our life and a part of who we are, it's going to spread to others. Sometimes it may be through our children. At other times it may be through our relationships and our friendships. But faith spreads and influences others. And that's what we find as we look on in this text. Notice verse 20 goes on to say this. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. God had given a promise to Abraham. Abraham passed that promise on to Isaac. Isaac passed the promise on to Jacob and so forth. We see the mention of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how God was the God of these mentioned throughout Scripture. And it was eventually through this line of promise that our own Lord Jesus Christ would come. Ever wonder why you have that that long introduction in in Matthew and that long introduction in the beginning of of Luke where there's a, a list of begats where you just sort of skim through it and move on to the next part? That's the lineage of promise. That's God fulfilling the promise that He made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we as believers can see that promise fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. Many times in the Scripture, we find this made mention. We find that there is a list of those who pass their faith along to others. And here in this 20th verse where it's mentioned that Jacob and Esau were blessed by Isaac and that Isaac was blessed by Abraham, we see this lineage, this chain mentioned. Each one as they died passed blessing on to another. Now if you know the story behind this, 
you know that there was some deception, some bad character that was evidenced in some of these stories. For instance, in the story of Isaac blessing Jacob, what do we find? Uh, Remember the story? Esau was a really hairy guy. Jacob, not so much. Esau was the older brother by a few seconds. They were twins. And what happened? Jacob put a pelt around his arm because Isaac couldn't see very well. And he went in and asked for his father's blessing. And when his father felt the hairy arm, the pelt, he blessed him. Now, we would look at that and wonder, well, where's faith in that? Here's the idea. God took even Jacob's deception and used it for good, ultimately. God had a purpose and a plan that was unfolding, and faith kept on. It continued in spite of the bad behavior of Jacob. And this is something else that we find. Faith overcomes Faith eventually reaches. Faith touches the heart that is open to it. When we look at the life of Isaac, we can see a life that was filled with flaws. We can see a person who lied perpetually, who took on some of the sins of his father. And yet, when we trace his story through the book of Genesis, what do we find? That eventually faith took hold of him and changed him. The same with Jacob. Jacob started out really bad. He was a deceiver. And when you read the story of Jacob through the Scripture, he was a rogue. He misbehaved continually, and yet what happened slowly but surely, faith transformed him. And this is what we find in so many characters in the Old Testament. Faith changes people's lives, and as it grows in their life, it grows in the lives of those around them. They look, and they see, and they begin to understand. God is faithful to His promise, and those of faith count on God's promise. And that's something that we see many, many times in Scripture. Later, when Moses is introduced to us, how did God introduce Himself to Moses in the burning bush? He said this, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Do you see that? God was identifying himself as the father of these men. And really, when we come into the New Testament, we find something even more fascinating. The Lord Jesus Christ quoted this passage, and look at what he says. Now about the dead rising... Have you not read the book of Moses and the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What's interesting is this. When God refers to himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's not referring to himself as the God of these men in the past. He is the God of these men now. The idea is, even though they are dead, they are spiritually alive. Why? Because of their faith. They believed God. They trusted God. And they had that relationship with Him, the hope of the future. Look at what the text goes on to tell us. Verse 21 talks about how by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. 
and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. So once again, faith being passed on to another generation and the blessing of God being passed on to another generation. And then look at the story of Joseph himself. Notice the 23rd verse, or 22nd verse says this, By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. The 22nd verse points out the faith of Joseph as well. If you remember the story of Joseph, all of Israel had gone into Egypt because of a famine. They were stuck there. They couldn't get out. They became slaves. And what's interesting is this. Joseph knew that one day God would deliver them from the Egyptians. And before he died, what did he say? Take my bones and bury it in the promised land. Why? Because he believed God. He believed that God had promised his forefather Abraham a place in Israel and that God would deliver it one day. So all of these people of faith are mentioned with true faith stories, true hearts for God. And when we look at Joseph... What a picture of us as believers here in this world. He was a person who was in a foreign land. His true home was somewhere else. And he awaited the day that God would deliver him to that land that he longed for. You know, that's a picture of us as well. Our true home is heaven. We're passing through here. And there will come a time when we go home to be with God. We're only sojourners here. So the text is teaching us principles about faith, but it's also giving us examples about faith. All of that being said, let's move on. Faith takes God at His word, but faith also transcends the values of this world. When we come to verse 23, the story of Moses is mentioned. And notice the text says this, By faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember the story of Moses? If you've watched the Ten Commandments, you probably have some inkling of what went on. Remember, the Egyptians had the Israelites. The Israelites were enslaved. As the Israelites were growing in number and influence, the Pharaoh of Egypt decided all of the male children would be killed under a certain age. Moses was one of those children. His parents saw that he was no ordinary child. And so they decided to risk their lives, build a basket, place Moses in the basket, place it in the Nile, follow it along, and trust God to deliver it. Now that took a lot of faith because for his parents, it could have meant certain death. And then entrusting the basket to the Nile. You ever seen Nile crocodiles? Scary. They trusted God. And their faith moved them to action. And I think that's such a point that we find in this story. Faith should move us to action. 
If we say that we believe something, we'd better do what we say we believe. That's the idea. And that's what Moses' parents did. They trusted God. But then the text goes on to talk about Moses. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's, the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. And, and the text goes on to mention quite a few principles about Moses himself and how he traded the immediate for the eternal. So let's look at some of these things. Moses and his faith is held out as an example because, first of all, he refused to become like those around him. Again, look very carefully at that 24th verse. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses could have very easily taken on the behavior of the Egyptians. You could have said Moses could have chosen to walk like an Egyptian. But he chose not to. He chose to live separate from them. He chose to take on the behavior of the people of God and their values rather than the values of the Egyptians. And so Moses is held forth as an example. One who chose to live for God. And that's what God really points out about him in this passage. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Think of the wealth that he could have had. Think of all of the power that he could have had. He would have none of it because he wanted to follow God. Secondly, he endured suffering with the people of God rather than pursue pleasure. This is such an important point. Look at verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, this is a powerful verse. You know, the Bible is realistic with us. It doesn't try to convince us that there's no pleasure in sin. Yeah, of course there's pleasure in sin. But when we are faced with sin, we have a decision to make. Do I follow through with the sin? Do I engage in it? Do I exchange the short-term pleasure that I can have here and now for honoring God and the blessing that I can receive later. When you're a child of God and you truly believe that God is who He says He is and that He will bless you the way He promises that He will, even if you suffer now and you have to endure that suffering for a time, even a long time, the trade-off is worth it. Moses believed that and he acted on it. He chose to believe God for this and he trusted God and therefore he endured suffering. Look at the third point. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ greater than treasure. Verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now, when we look at this and we say, yeah, yeah, the treasures of Egypt, understand. In the day in which Moses lived, Egypt was the superpower. It was the most wealthy nation in the world. It had everything, and that could have been his oyster. But he chose not to choose that over God. He chose disgrace rejection 
for the sake of Christ. Now, some of you may be looking at this and say, how could he do it for the sake of Christ because Christ wouldn't come for several hundred years? Here's the idea. Through the line of Abraham, there was the promise of the coming Messiah. And Abraham promised it, was promised it by God, and every follower knew that there would come a deliverer, and that deliverer would deliver them from all that they were under. And so they believed in the coming Messiah. And so what we find is this. Moses trusted God that he would provide a deliverer, an ultimate deliverer. Now, in some ways, Moses was a picture of the coming deliverer because he delivered Israel short-term from the Egyptians. But there's one who's coming that Moses looked forward to would deliver them from all, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So as he suffered for that belief, he was willing to face even disgrace because he trusted God. And then this statement is made as well. He worshiped God obediently. Look at the last part. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Remember the story of the Passover. The Passover was something that was done by faith by the children of Israel. It was having to do with the last plague where they were trusting God. They were saying to God, we believe that you will deliver us from Egypt and you are sending one who will kill the firstborn of Pharaoh's family and all of Egypt. And the way to be delivered is by taking blood and painting it on our doorposts. What was risky about that? Suppose it didn't work. Suppose nothing happened and they're identified with this blood on their doorposts. What would the Pharaoh have done? They all would have been killed. But Abraham and Isaac, the faith that they had was transferred to Moses. And Moses believed God and so did many others. And they remembered the Passover. And once again, the Passover pictures for us the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ keeps us from spiritual destruction. When we trust in Him and trust that, the blood that He shed for us is sufficient to pay for our sin and to make us right with God. When we believe that, we have a relationship with God. Not on the basis of what we do, but here's what happens. Faith brings us to the place to where we trust God, and then God in turn transforms us, changes us by that faith so that we behave differently. We need to live with that understanding and that trust in God. As we come to the last part of this text, we find that faith transcends the values of this world because it trusts God to do great things. Look at the closing stories that are mentioned in this text. Verse 29 says this, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Think of what it took by faith to walk through the Red Sea when it's parted. You see water piled up on each side and know that if it comes crashing down, you're done. That would take serious faith to step out and walk through that. 
Even though God had promised it and you saw a great miracle, scary stuff. They trusted God. They walked. What if somebody said, yeah, I believe it's safe to pass through, but I'll just hang back here right now because I'm not really interested in walking through there. The Egyptians would have killed them. Faith required them to move out, to change their position on the basis of what they believed. And really, that's the thrust of this passage of Scripture. We can all talk about our faith. We can all say, yeah, I believe God, I trust what God says. But if it doesn't change the way you live, the way you behave, is it really faith? And the writer of Hebrews would say, no. Real faith brings about change. Real faith causes us to respond differently. Look at the next example. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, when we look at this account in the book of Joshua, it says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up and every man straight in. Now, that sounds like a great plan, right? Here is a city with walls that are impossible. And he's, you know, the angel of the Lord is telling Joshua, get a bunch of guys to walk around the city for seven days. And on the last day, Sound the trumpets, give a shout, and the city will be delivered to you. Right. From a human standpoint. But from faith, they trusted, and God did. And listen, had they not gone around the city, had they not done what God had prescribed, they would not have seen all that God could do. Faith trust God to do the impossible. And so that's what these people were doing. They were trusting God. They were looking to God, waiting to see what He would do. And then look at the final example. By faith, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. This too took place in Jericho. But if you remember the story of Rahab, Spies had come into the city prior to the walls falling down. God had told them to go there. Rahab was a prostitute. When we look at her life, some of us might look and say, well, that person's probably not going to be very easy to reach. They're probably not going to have a per- be a person who, who really responds in faith. Don't we do that sometimes? We'll get a person that we sort of stereotype and say, this is where they're going to be, and I'm just not going to be much interested in them. I'll just leave them alone. God didn't leave her alone. God spoke to her through the spies. She trusted them, hid them at her own peril in her house, and lowered them through a window. And then she was told by them to take a scarlet cloth and hang it from her window. And when the city would be destroyed, she would be spared. Rahab believed that. But you know what's really interesting about Rahab? We meet her later in the Scripture. She's in the genealogy of Christ. 
She is an ancestor of David. God gave her a prominent place in the scripture because of her faith. Faith can transform people and do great things. It can do great things as far as physical things, but it can also do great things as far as individual things. And that's what we see God doing in lives of faith. As we're going through the book of Hebrews, we're seeing this encouragement toward faith, and it's building and building and building. And it's talking about the importance of trusting God. And it's giving us example after example after example of heroes in the faith who have followed God. The heroes had their flaws, they had their problems, they had their challenges. But one thing brings them together. They trusted God and acted on what they believed. So what's the message for us? The message for us is very simple. Take God at his word. Trust God. If you believe that God is who he says he is, if you believe that this is God's word, then take it to the next level and act on what you believe. Do something with it. Live it out. Be obedient to what God says. And if those around you say you're crazy, that's archaic, don't believe in it, why would you ever want to live something like that? It's a 2,000-year-old book. Come on. Your response is the response of faith. I believe it. I'll trust it. I'll follow it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that it is to all of us that we are to live by faith. God, my prayer is that we will do just that, that we won't shrink back in unbelief, that we won't be wavering and constantly vacillating, accepting the values of this world one moment and your values the next. But God, may we be people who are faithful, following you, doing what you ask us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.